Praise the Lord. We are reminded how the word of God came first to this world. When the Lord gave the tablets to Moses, the Bible says that the words that were written on it, on the tablets, were written by the very finger of the Almighty God. That's how the word came to this world. There was thundering, lightning. There was fear in people's hearts. People could not approach the mountain because the word of God was coming in this world. So that is what we have in this form here. That's how the word of God came. When we talk about the word of God, that's what we're talking about. It might be very popular today. We have it on tablets. We have it everywhere. Multiple versions of the Bible with us. But the word of God is to be received, is to be diligently obeyed. I am reminded of the day when Josiah more about that in June. When Josiah was restoring the worship of God, what he did, he first dealt with the word of God, the book that was found first. You restore the centrality of the word of God and then everything else can fall into places. Remember how we are called, we are commanded to take up the shield of faith in order to quench the fiery darts from the enemy. But the word, the faith, the, the material for the faith, and what solidifies the faith is the word of God. For faith comes by the hearing. The topic today, which may not make much sense to you, as it doesn't to myself, because I struggle to give, to find a topic. But we came up with some, we made up something. Which next generation? With a question mark. Which next generation? A bit of a nonsense. Maybe bad English. I could have just said next generation, something like that. Which next generation? Why? I could have said the current next generation. I could have said our responsibility in the preparation of the next generation. The question which next generation means... What kind of generation do we want? It is us preparing the next generation. Lord, we bless you this morning once again, and we commit, Lord, your word in our hearts. And we pray that, Lord, you help us by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. We will have uh, two or four, three or four readings, starting with Judges. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel must be taught 
to know war. At least those who had not formerly known it. Verse 3. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hamon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandment of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Verse 5. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their God. Verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherah. Asherah. Amen. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 to 13. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 to 13. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timoth, in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gersh. Then all the generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Amen. We have a bit more information in Judges chapter 1, verse 9, verse 1. Do not turn to it. I'll just paraphrase that for you. In Judges chapter 1, verse 1, we are told that after the death of Joshua, the children of Israel asked the Lord, Who shall be the first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Now, such was not Joshua and Caleb's spirit. In fact, the Bible says that Caleb had a different spirit. And in Numbers chapter 14, the two men, that is Joshua and Caleb, trusted in the Lord and encouraged the congregation of Israel. Everyone else was complaining against Moses and Aaron. People complain against God himself. That was the first generation. And all who were aged from 25 years old and above perished in the desert because of their attitude towards the Lord. I found very, very difficult to define the word generation because the word generation is very popular in Judges 2 and 3 found it very, very difficult to, 
to define that or to find the definition, the closest I could find to the biblical text is this one. A generation is a body of living beings constituting a single step in the line of descent from an ancestor. That's the closest I could find to our topic this morning. In other words, it's just a step between parent and children, that's one generation. To the grandparent, that's two generations. Great-grandparent, three generations. As simple as that. From that definition then, from Noah to Nimrod, that is three generations apart. If we consider that definition. From Hezekiah to Manasseh, that is one generation apart. In both cases, Noah and Hezekiah, it was from godliness to complete idolatry and corruption within one generation or three. From the godly Noah to Nimrod, the mighty hunter. Three generations. From a godly great grandparent. From Hezekiah, a godly person, to Manasseh, one generation. From a godly, God-fearing parent to one of the most wicked king. Who did more evil than many other king combined. One generation. Does that concern you? No? Let's continue. From our main biblical text, the two we've read here, Judges 3 and 2. Caleb, Joshua, and the people who outlived them all died. This was the second generation. The first generation died in the desert. This is the second generation. Caleb and Joshua a little bit in the middle, but I put them in the second generation because they will lead another army of the Lord. The second generation was led by Joshua. The Bible tells us that Caleb wholly followed the Lord, God of Israel. At a certain age, advanced age, he still had defeated the three sons of Anak. Do you remember his report in Numbers? When he came back to Moses, any other person was more terrified and afraid because of the size, the hugeness of the size of the Anakim, Caleb and Joshua saw instead the greatness of God and encouraged the people of God. And here he is, old, advanced in age. He said, I'm still strong as in the days when Moses sent us. And he will still defeat the Anakims, the sons of the Bible says, Caleb had a different spirit in him. A different spirit from the rest of the people of his generation. That is the first generation. I'm reminding the topic today, which next generation? I note that when you read the book of Joshua and Judges, Giving is different from possessing. God gives and then he asks them to possess. And Joshua did the same with Caleb. You know, Caleb, Moses commanded Joshua to give to Caleb a 
specific inheritance within the Judas inheritance. So Caleb, so Joshua gave it to him, but Caleb had to possess it, and he went to fight and defeated three sons of the Anakim. They were terrifying. He defeated them. There is a difference between God giving and his people possessing. God gave. He gave promises. He promised to never leave them or forsake them. But they had to be on the ground to battle. And at some point, they failed because of Achan. Do you remember in Ai? So it was all subject to obeying the Lord as they were on the ground battling against the enemy. In Joshua chapter 15, there is uh, another character coming into play. He is called Othniel. Othniel. Othniel was Caleb's nephew. He was the son of Kenaz, who was Caleb's young brother. When Caleb went to defeat the Anakim, he was old, he was tired, and said, oh, I need someone else to continue this now. I need someone else to continue to do this. And whoever will be able to do that, to him I will give my daughter as wife. Othniel went forth and won the victory and conquered that land. And Caleb gave him his daughter as a wife. Othniel was now influenced doubly by Caleb, because the Bible says Caleb followed God wholly, with all his heart. Othniel was walking in Caleb's path of courage and encouragement. But then indirectly, he then had Caleb's daughter. Someone who has had a godly upbringing as a wife. Again, influencing him. Caleb's influence and courage extended to his own family, to his wider family, that is, Othniel, and to the whole nation of Israel when he gave an encouraging report to Moses. I've said that already. He saw the Lord's greatness and not the huge size of the Anakim. I've said that already. He influenced and inspired the following generation of leaders, such as Othniel. Joshua did the same. In Joshua 22, Joshua 24, sorry, from verse 14 to 16, after the conquest, Joshua spoke to the children of Israel and commanded them to fear and to serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth and to put away all form of idolatry. He also warned them against the consequences of forsaking God. That is Joshua 24, verse 20. He concluded in verse 15, As for me and my household, notice, we. We will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That include his children, the next generation. Are you concerned about the next generation? Which next generation? What do we want in the next generation? What kind of people do we want in the next generation? These two people had a vision 
for the next generation. After Joshua died, and the elders, the people who outlived him, died, you've just read in Judges chapter 2, what happened? They straight away, one generation, forsook the Lord. One generation. As if they've never seen the Lord at work. They've never heard any story about the works of the Lord. They've never seen the Lord at work and delivering them. The history, the deliverance now at the Red Sea, the River Jordan. They've never seen anything of that. They never knew God. They never heard Moses' commandment. They never heard Joshua warning them in Joshua 24. Straight away, bow down and worship the bears. One generation. Does that concern you, brother and sisters? If not, let's continue. You are a godly responsible and hard-working parents, rightly planning for the future of your children. That is very good. Life insurance, funeral cost plan, inheritance, etc. You are good good spouses, you are lovely aunties and uncles, caring grandparents, loving and supportive parent-in-law, or best friends to somebody. All these things are right in the sight of the Lord and the society. Question. How are we leaving those relationships? And how are we preparing the next generation? Because we find them in all those relationships I've described here. They are people who will live in the next generation. I found a little thing, some, some encouraging uh, news. Recently, Prince William delivered a speech in his role as Lord High Commissioner during the opening ceremony of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. He said this, quote, It has been suggested that I take Proverbs 19, verse 20 as my guide. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future that our future monarch. And of course, Jesus himself, he goes on to say, Jesus himself put it more succinctly, those who have ears, let them hear. And he goes on to say, right reverend, in the name of her majesty, I now invite you to proceed with the business for which you are assembled, assembled, and may the guidance and blessing of almighty God be with you. That's our future monarch there. We need to pray for him. He's quoting script. We need to pray for him. Remember Josiah? More about Josiah, as I say, in June, God willing. We need to pray for the future monarch. Let's pray for the future monarch. The prophecy about Josiah, why am I talking about Josiah? I can just wait in June. The prophecy about Josiah was given 330 years before and his name was revealed. And he turned things around for God four centuries later. Let's pray for this man, the future monarch, always. Pray. Let's go back to our main biblical text. Judges chapter 3 verse 2 mentioned a generation of those who had not been taught to know war. In other words, it was a feel-good, a deserving generation. The third generation, most of the people from the second generation had done all the hard work for them, and they died. The second generation. The third generation is a feel-good generation. Easy. 
deserving generation. Me generation. Self generation. All the work had been done for them. Which next generation? Maybe the second generation might have shared a bit of responsibility. Maybe they were too busy at war and working and did not have time for them. Maybe third generation may find some excuse. I told you the story of this brother many years ago. After the service, we were fellowshipping and asked him, how was your week? Now, I say, how is the fellowship, the family fellowship? He said to me, I must confess that I've been very busy with uh, witnessing in Hyde Park Corner. So I've overlooked a little bit the family fellowship. I say, oh, okay. So that is God sending you to witness and to bring other people to heaven while your children are going to hell. What kind of God is that? That is called activism. Such was not Caleb and Joshua's attitude. People under the influence, they had to impact them as much as they could to be in the next generation, equipped for the next generation. The first generation was led by Moses, and it was the mostly, most rebellious generation. The second generation was led by Joshua. Caleb was part of this generation. These were active fighters, active fighters. The third generation was made of untrained, untested people for whom the second generation had done all the hard work. They dwelt among the nations, they married their daughters, they served their gods. However, the Lord found Othniel. who will become the first judge in Israel. And he will judge for 40 years. And he will go out for war and will defeat the enemy. The Bible says, the spirit of the Lord was on him. As it was on Caleb, his uncle. In the same way, Joshua and Caleb were so courageous. Othniel was courageous. Remember? I think it's in Judges 1 1. I think. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be to fight for us? They're not prepared. They want someone else to step up for them. They were not prepared. They were untrained to war. And God, in his wisdom and omniscience, will leave some nations undefeated in order to train that generation to war. God does not want lazy people. We are commanded to fight the good fight of faith. To be trained, to be equipped, and to understand the day in which we live in. This feel-good generation had not known, learned war. Easy. Deserving generation. The spirit of the Lord was on Othnia, and he went out to war. Unlike the other people of his generation. After Joshua's death, the Lord left some nation. We've said that already. So, listen carefully here. It's a question. You don't have to answer. The Lord allowed some nations to resist in order for him to test the third generation and see whether they will obey God. 
question. Is that your understanding? Is that our understanding of the good fight of faith as well? Or are we just exalting the devil whenever we are in difficulties? Is that our understanding that the Christian warfare, the good fight of faith, is God testing us to strengthen us, to equip us for more battles to come? Or is all about the devil? As God people, we need to realize that both the testing of our faith and the good fight of faith itself, they are both part of our daily reality. And we are called to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude says, After Othniel's death, the children of Israel reverted, the Bible says, and behaved more corruptly than previous generations. That is after 40 years of being led by a godly man and see victories and the hand of God. 40 years. He dies. They revert straight away and behave more corruptly than the first generation and all the previous generation put together. One generation between, in between. Does that concern you? Still not? Still quiet. Let's move on. They follow other gods and they serve them. That is Judges chapter 2 verse 19. If this begins to concern us, then we ask again the question, which generation do we want and how do we prepare that generation? In Judges chapter 2 verse 7 and 10, the previous generation had departed. You see, I'm talking a lot about generation. That's why I told you that that word is so popular in verse, in chapter 2 and 3. It's all about generations. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. The third generation went straight into idolatry. They forsook the Lord and served foreign gods. Question. Are we very concerned about what our posterity could do to the Lord and to the wider society after us? Does that concern us? What our children and grandchildren may do to the Lord and to the society after us? Are our children truly learning to fear the Lord or are they just giving us what we want to see? while we are physically present. The children of Israel reverted to idolatry whenever the leader died. It became a pattern. Read for yourself, judges. It's a pattern now. It's a habit now. They fear the judge whilst he departs. When he departs, they revert to idolatry. It's a pattern now. It's a way of life now. Why was that? Because they knew that the judge had God delegated authority and the Lord could judge anyone through the judge. Why are we coming to the church? Why are we serving the Lord? Is it for God? Is it to please someone else? It is to Make the pastor comforted and feel a bit good and happy because he's very sad? Is it to make God a bit happy because he's so lonely, he needs a bit of uh, singing? Is it for a good friend? Is it for your spouse? Or is it for God? Had they feared God, they would have changed after the death of the leader. They were looking the leader, not God. We have to come here for God. Out of a grateful heart of what the Lord has done. Charged, full with thankfulness and gratefulness to the Lord. To prepare the service from home. 
and to come and bring that which the Lord has given to us. Unto his praise and glory. Unlike the second, the third generation Moses who, when he became of age, we read in the book of Hebrews 11, he refused the passing pleasures of sin. I'm just paraphrasing. He did things. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose active verbs. Refused, chose. And looked to the rewards, to Christ. And he knew that by choosing to be with the people of God, there was Christ's reproach. But he chose that. Independently. Away from his parents. That was his decision. A godly generation. The next generation will live in a more corrupt world. Does that concern us? Does the culture of rudeness and selfism concern us? It's only begin. The culture of rudeness only begins. The culture of selfism only begins. Think about this. Why should I respect you if I feel that I'm better than you? If I feel that I'm more evolved than you, why should I respect you? Why should you respect me? I may be in your sight, maybe just a pile of junk, unsophisticated. Oh, I'm reminded of a story. Many years ago, I was teaching at Bridge Lane under Tony Pierce. I was preaching on the sermon, um, the, battle, the Battle is the Lord's. And after preaching, after the service, A brother came to me and he said this. Do you know that there is a tra free training on BBC that can help you to improve your English? You can Google that and find out. I say, okay. Another lady came and she says to me, she tapped on my shoulder and she says, I am not a sophisticated person and the only reason why I'm able to follow when you teach is because it's slow and it is unsophisticated and I gave myself the name a preacher to the unsophisticated. If you are sophisticated, praise the Lord for that. But you may find it difficult to follow me. Same message, two different reactions. I'm pointing him to Jesus. He's analyzing the shape of my finger. And not the direction where I'm pointing. He's looking at my personality. Not what I'm saying about the Lord to him. Tragedy. I am nothing. I'm just reading for you. In the Bible. And you can check it out. And you can read yourself. You don't need my English even. Same message. Two different reactions personalities. One brother told me once, he says, when I'm listening to the word of God, I don't want to be disturbed a second because something important may pass me by. The culture of rudeness and selfishness. The Bible says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, 
and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. To these two commandments hangs up all the laws. This is the greatest commandment. Our society has made a new commandment which overrides the Lord's ones. And they've added this. And you shall love yourself to perfection. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy that in the last days, perilous time will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You shall love yourself to perfection. That has become the first commandment. Which next generation? Lovers of themselves? This philosophy goes like this. Now, you may think that whilst Paul was warning Timothy about this, this is only pagan's philosophy. Oh, listen to what is being taught now in churches. Lovers of themselves? This goes like this. You need to love yourself to the overflow first before you can love others and in order to be able to appreciate God's love for you. That is being taught in churches. We are told that we need to realize how good we are in order to trust in God's love. We are told that because we were bought by the blood of Christ, we are worth no less than the precious blood of Christ. We worth heaven itself. Okay, that is our self-valuation of what we think we're worth and what they are telling us we're worth, the blood of Jesus and heaven itself. That is our valuation. Everyone thinks he's worth the heaven. Let's consult the word of God for a fairer valuation of our worth. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 and see the divine valuation of what we worth. Matthew chapter 10, and we read from verse 29 to 31. Valuation by the heaven standards. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of no value than many sparrows. It's really valuable, isn't it? Not heaven compared to the values of sparrows. Now one may find some comfort in the last verse there. Many sparrows. Okay. But also pay attention to the value there. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? In other version. <laughs> Brother John has caught the thing. <laughs> in other words, we're talking about in terms of peas. One P, two P's. That's the starting valuation here. That's the price of the sparrow. Now one may find comfort and say, yeah, but that's unit price, you know. The Lord say, I'm worth more than many sparrows. Let's take one million then, sparrows. Multiply by one P. <laughs> What's your value? 10,000 pounds. <clears throat> Now you may say, Brother Guy, you're cheating a little bit there. You know, I will take a district value for a second opinion. The bad news for you is that I checked this morning that the sparrows are now on the red list. Your valuation may not be validated by the government. <laughs> Desperate. <laughs> That's your wolf. <laughs> Oh dear. Praise the Lord for that valuation. 
Praise the Lord, we are valued in terms of copper, one and two Ps. I don't mean to tear down anyone's self-esteem. It's now all about self, which has now replaced God. Self-confidence, self-reliance, self-improvement, self-development, self-actualization, self-esteem. You name the rest. These are all new gods. All new God in this and the next generation. And this new God, our children are being introduced to this in classrooms, in textbooks, in churches, and everywhere. People are now asked to visualize themselves into the type of persons they want to be in order to make it happen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we are commanded to be transformed into the image of the glory of God, from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord, not by our inner self, in the image of the Lord, the transformation produced by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another degree of glory in the likeness of the Almighty God. Not in the likeness of our inner man that we have to visualize. Our children are taught these things in classrooms. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 to 5, we are reminded that what happened to the Israelites should be an example to the intent that we should not last after these evil things and to not become idolaters. The temple of God has no agreement with idols. We are the temple of the living God. It is light versus darkness. And we are the salt and light of this world. And we have the life of Christ in us. He is the light of the world and we are light and salt. A city built on a hill. That's what we are. Delivered out of darkness unto his marvelous light. Which generation? We need to learn and to be taught how to fight the good fight of faith and to run with endurance, to pursue righteousness, and to teach our children, to teach young people, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. We are called to be fighting the good fight of faith, to lay hold on eternal life to which we are called. You see, we were not called for this empty and infertile dispute and argument. No, we were called and we are fighting the good fight of faith, laying hold of eternal life. We were called to eternal life. We are commanded to take up the shield of faith, which is made and solidified by the word of God. I've said that already. In the fight of faith, you need to be active and established in the faith the fight becomes easier when we've been established in faith. That is a verbatim quote from Nathan Hayward on the 23rd of April 2017. He said that here. Let me say that again. Verbatim quotes from Nathan Hayward. He said this quote. In the fight of faith, you need to be active and established in faith. The fight becomes easier when we've been established in faith. Therefore, let's run with endurance and fight as not beating the air. Let us run as to win the prize, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience unto perfect work. To God's glory. Following the example of our faithful forefathers, let us have what I call a telescopic view of the promise of God. They saw, they received, 
They salute them, but they did not obtain all of them. They contemplated, they looked at them with a telescopic view. See, a telescope allows you to see very far from here. They understood that some of the promises will only be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes in heaven. It wasn't a feel-good exercise. As we close, Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 39 to 40. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for them, for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Joshua led the Israelites to victory, and his name means Yehoshua, Jehovah saved. In our journey to heaven, in our daily battles, in our good fight of faith, in our race, we need to realize that we are led by Yehoshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the joy of the Father, the visible image of the invisible God, the right hand of the Father, the morning star, the son of righteousness, our rock and our fortress, our deliverer, the God, our strength, our shield, the horn of our salvation, our stronghold, our refuge, our hiding place the glory of Israel, the light of, this, of the world, the savior of this world, the king of kings, and the Lord of Lord. Onward, Christian soldier. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. We return thanksgiving and all the glory to you and commit everyone here unto your holy hands. In the name of Jesus, amen.